and we're starting to read at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men 
who will also be qualified to teach others. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of having Bibles open in front of us in our own language that we can read and hear so freely. Thank you that the same Holy Spirit who caused your word to be written down is the Holy Spirit who helps us as we read it and applies your word to our hearts. Father, please, would your spirit be at work as we look now at your word together. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. It is an understatement to say that it's a privilege to be here today. Not least because both you, Andy, and the chapel as a whole are regularly in my prayers. Most of you know I grew up here, son of the manse. It means that I was often in the vestry downstairs. And I was fascinated by the oil painting in the vestry of the first pastor of this church, Christopher Anderson. Now, I've been recently rereading his life and letters. The book may be old, it's falling to bits and needs rebound, but its content is bang up to date. Christopher Anderson was a gospel man. He was a pastor entrusted with the unchanging gospel of our Lord Jesus. He was a pastor who ran with the gospel in his generation, passing on the gospel baton to the next generation who passed it on, who passed it on, and so, yes, we come to today. And I want you to have in mind an image of a relay this morning. It's an image that helps us understand to Timothy. It's not a sprint relay. It's a marathon or even an Iron Man relay. It's the gospel relay. Paul is old, in prison, in Rome, nearing the end of his tough leg in the relay. And through this letter we read part of, he's doing at least three things. First of all, he's making sure that the gospel baton is firmly in Timothy's hands. Uh, second, he's... He, he, he wants to urge Timothy to run his leg of the relay loyally. And third, he wants to tell Timothy what it's going to be like running his leg of the relay. Paul writes as a father to a son with great love and affection. If you look at chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Timothy, my dear son. Chapter 2, verse 2, you then, my son. It's a bit like the book of Proverbs where a dad says to his son, look, I'm going to tell you what's ahead and I'm going to give you God's wisdom for what's ahead. And Andy, as your uncle this morning, and you are my dear nephew, I say that publicly, I want to focus on three commands that we find in verses 13 of chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 2. The commands are to keep, verse 13, to guard, verse 14, and to entrust, verse 22. And these are commands, Andy, which Timothy needed to obey as he was 
called to run the gospel relay in his generation. They're the commands you equally need to obey as you are set apart for a lifetime of gospel ministry in your generation. And they are commands that we all need to hear this morning. Paul expected this letter to Timothy to be read by the congregation in Ephesus. Uh, The health of gospel churches depends on their leaders obeying these commands. And gospel churches need to know what their pastors are called to do. Because their pastors are called to be examples to the flock of what every believer in Jesus is meant to do. So let's look at these three commands. The first command I want to sum up as stick to the pattern and it should appear on the screen. Loyal gospel runners stick to the pattern. I want you to imagine that you're an up-and-coming chef given the golden opportunity of working in a high-class restaurant of one of the most famous chefs in Edinburgh. The chief chef has created a wonderful menu and people book up weeks in advance to, to taste his delicious dishes. You turn up on the first day And the chief chef's second-in-command spends a lot of time with you. He goes carefully through the process for preparing every single one of the dishes. He tells you exactly how it's supposed to be done, the pattern to be followed. And you're told, don't deviate, don't tamper with the pattern, stick to it as you've heard it from me. You may think you're a gifted chef. But in this restaurant, this is the pattern you're to follow. Look again at verse 13. That's very similar to what Paul is doing. He's an apostle. He's been entrusted with the good news by the risen Lord Jesus. And he writes to Timothy, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. The earlier verses we read, they summarize what that pattern of sound teaching is. It's all summed up by the word grace. That undeserved kindness that saves us and calls us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but solely because of God's purpose and grace. A little while ago, I came across a tragic story in the Times. A 40-year-old woman had been visiting some botanic gardens on the Isle of Wight. She picked and ate some highly poisonous wild death cap mushrooms. And very shortly thereafter, she died. When I read that story, it made me think of that other garden, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve ate not death cap mushrooms, but the forbidden fruit. An act that resulted in the deadly poison of sin entering them, which has then been passed on down from then, generation to generation, right down to each one of us here today. And at the center of Paul's message that he passed on to Timothy was the person of our Lord Jesus. Will you look how he's described in verse 10? He calls him our Savior, Christ Jesus. Uh, That title, Savior, well, it reminds us that at the heart of Jesus' mission 
was our great need, the need we have to be saved from the penalty our sins deserve. The penalty of death and eternal punishment in hell. And Timothy had heard from Paul that our Savior Christ Jesus, he appeared to die as our substitute. He he appeared to taste death in the place of those who deserve it. And then he rose from the dead and by his death he was declaring that he brought life and immortality to light for all who will believe in him. And that is the message that in verse 13 Paul describes as the pattern of sound teaching. That word sound has the sense of health giving of wholesome something that does people good not harm and so it does what greater good could anyone do for anyone else than to save them from eternal punishment in hell and only the sound teaching of a crucified risen saviour can save anyone from the deadly effects of the poison of sins that is coursing through the veins of every one of us. So says Paul to Timothy, stick to the pattern. Don't don't tamper with it. It's an unchanging, it's a sound, healthy, life-giving message. It's been permanently fixed by our chief, our saviour, the Lord Jesus come back to that restaurant you started working in after a few weeks of following the pattern set by the chief chef well you get a bit bored of it it's hard work sticking to the pattern and you think something else might be a bit more attractive to the 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 customers especially those who have been a few times already so you start to make your own little changes At first they're small, at first they're unnoticeable, but it's not too long until the plates of food you're producing are significantly different from the pattern you were shown. You've tampered with it. The chief chef, second in command, he passed on the pattern faithfully. But you're tampering. You're not sticking there. Paul knew Timothy would be tempted to do something similar with the life-giving teaching he'd received. It was faithfulness to the pattern given by the risen Jesus that had landed Paul in prison. And he knew that Timothy would be tempted to adjust it slightly, to to make it a bit less offensive, perhaps soft-pedal references to sin or to punishment or to death. People don't like talking about that. Oh, no nice people never talk about hell Uh, perhaps by saying that the priority of Jesus uh, was not saving Jesus from hell but rather making their lives better now and Timothy if you just soften it all down a bit well you probably won't end up in prison like Paul has don't do it says Paul be a loyal gospel runner. Oh, there were those like Hermonius and Philetus. We read of them in chapter 2. And they had wandered away from the truth and in so doing had destroyed the faith of some. And they were like disloyal under chefs. 
who so tamper with the pattern set with the concoction produced that the concoction produced is harmful and even deadly to the consumers. Andy, loyalty to the gospel message is what will do others eternal good. But disloyalty will do others eternal harm. Preachers who are disloyal to the gospel message in effect are serving up eternal death cup mushrooms. Says Paul to Timothy, stick to this pattern with, please note the words, faith and love in Christ Jesus. Andy, it's not what we stick to, but how we stick to it that matters. You can only stick to the pattern as you continue personally to have faith in it and you persevere in love for those you've been sent to proclaim it to. Uh, You need to be resolute in that faith, trusting that everything Jesus says can be relied upon. It it means trusting him personally as your saviour every day. You're a sinner who needs a saviour every day. It means believing that he has the power to save you and the power to save others. It means trusting that his great joy is the joy of saving people. And you should share that joy. It means trusting that what keeps God's people healthy in any local church is not clever ideas. It's not the latest fad. It's not fine oratory. No, it's the clear, simple, faithful proclamation of Jesus as is expounded from his words and Andy that's the way of love Jesus defines love as laying down our lives for others as he's laid down his life for us love means sticking to the pattern doggedly whatever personal cost whatever suffering may come and it may come more in your lifetime than it has in some of ours Because as you stick to the message, you will love our chief, the Lord Jesus, and you will love the people you've been called to serve. Now, I spent most time on the first point because it undergirds the rest, because the second command is the command to guard the treasure. Loyal gospel runners guard the treasure. Jesus told a parable. You'll know it. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went away and sold all that he had so that the treasure could be his. The good news of the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything else in the world. It gives what nothing else can give. It will outlast everything else. That's why, look at verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. When I was in YPM, which was a long, long time ago now, um, one of my friends in YPM decided to go around the world for a year and entrusted me with the care of their flat. I'm not sure whether it was a good idea agreeing to do that, but I did. And for a year, it was like a massive responsibility, having been entrusted with what belonged to someone else. Timothy needed to see 
that the Lord Jesus had entrusted him with the most precious thing in the world, with what's called this good deposit. When God created the world, he looked at his handiwork and he saw that it was good. Very good, we're told. When God acted to save sinners through the cross, he looked at his handiwork, what was accomplished through the death of the Lord Jesus, and he saw that it was very, very good. That's what the resurrection declares. When God acts through the proclamation of his gospel to bring individual sinners into a personal experience of salvation, it is equally very very good look at that word guard at the beginning of verse 14 it's the same word used in the book of Acts when soldiers guarded some of the apostles when they were in prison and Timothy's task you see was to protect this precious gospel this good thing to take responsibility for it to ensure that it wasn't lost that it wasn't damaged during his walk Many pressures would come. I wonder if the tears referred to in verse 4 are the tears that Timothy and the other elders in Ephesus shed when Paul had left them. We read about it in Acts 20. On that occasion, Paul warned the elders at Ephesus. He said, after I've gone, savage wolves will come among you and not spare the flock. And like today, you see, there were trends in culture and churches that would tempt Timothy with with these subtly different versions of the gospel. Each with the potential to deflect him from this single-minded commitment to preaching Jesus, the Savior, the Lord, the only hope. And Paul says, Timothy, guard it. Andy, guard it. Not in your own strength. We don't have the strength of ourselves. Look how the verse goes on. With the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The context, verse 15, is a serious warning. You know, Paul writes, that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Uh, These two men, they were probably well-known members of the church at Ephesus. They were perhaps the kind of people that over the years, others had said, well, they're strong believers. But the time had come when they'd not stuck to the pattern. And it's a reminder that however long someone may have stuck to the pattern, the potential to go astray is always there. Never think, Andy, it couldn't happen to you. Uh, look at Onesiphorus verse 19 he's in contrast to uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes he'd helped Paul both in Rome and in Ephesus and what was Onesiphorus he was someone who was continuing in the race he'd not abandoned the pattern he'd not stopped guarding the message no when he got to Rome he went and found Paul who was in prison he searched for him he refreshed him in his chains he wasn't ashamed He was playing his part in the relay race. And Paul's desire for Timothy was, look, 
Don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes. They didn't guard the treasure. Be like Onesiphorus, who acted loyally towards that treasure. Andy, the best way to treasure the gospel is to keep treasuring it yourself in your own heart. What you said earlier was so helpful. You don't want to preach about a treasure unless you're treasuring it always. Treasure the Lord Jesus personally every day. And note the third thing. That we guard the treasure as we hand on the message. You'll know the other parable that's come to my mind as I've looked at these verses. The parable of the talents. A talent in the Bible was worth several hundred pounds. And a man going on a journey calls three servants to him and he entrusts, it's the language of this passage, he entrusts property to them. To one he gives five talents. To another he gives two talents. To the third he gives one talent. The man with the five, he goes immediately and he puts it to work and he gains five more. Uh, The man who had two talents, he goes and he puts it to work and he gains two more. But the man entrusted with the one talent, he goes and he buries it in the ground. He hides his master's money. The master returns. The man entrusted with the five, he brings the other five and he says, Master, you gave me five. Here are the five I've gained. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two, he comes and says, here's the two I've gained. And the master again says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share in my happiness. And then comes the third servant, entrusted with the one talent. Mastery says, I know you're a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown. Gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Good and faithful servants use what has been entrusted to them in accordance with their master's command. Now, not to do so, note please, is wicked, and that's a strong word. It's also lazy. How can we be lazy with this precious gospel of a Savior who was committed to go to the cross? How on earth can we be lazy with such a message? And Paul says that we guard the gospel by handing it on. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. This is where the third command comes. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Note the link with verse 13, what you've heard from me. Sticking to the pattern and guarding the treasure means taking this healthy, life-giving gospel declared by Paul and handing it on faithfully to others who in turn will hand it on, who will hand it on, and so on. Training the next generation is not an option for a pastor. 
it is an essential part of the pastor's job description. We stopped off at Canty Bay yesterday on the way up. On the gates of Canty Bay are 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. It, it takes us back to Christopher Anderson. He received the gospel and he passed it on despite many temptations to be disloyal. Many in his day, as in our day, were being disloyal to the trustworthy message. And I was intrigued as I've reread it that one of the pages in this, and Andy, I'm going to give this to you this morning, it's got granddad's notes in it as well, and they're quite interesting. One of the pages is entitled, Calls Others into Ministry. And it explains how towards the end of his ministry at Charlotte Chapel, he reflected that Charlotte Chapel had started with just 16 members. The first time they ever had communion, there were 16 people. It wasn't this building then, but what became Charlotte Chapel. And this, about 30 years on, he was looking back. He looked back over the 30 years and thought of all those who had joined the gospel relay through faith in our Lord Jesus. And he noted that in those years, 16 men, as far as he could calculate, had gone into full-time gospel ministry. You see, as in a relay race, the baton doesn't change. It's just the runners who change. Christopher Anderson was faithful in his day in handing on the baton. And Andy, it struck me that you and I, in many ways, are a fruit of Christopher Anderson's work. That's not mine. We are. You and I have been called into ministry because we grew up in the, feeling the benefits of his heritage. We really have. I know that there will be men, if the Lord Jesus doesn't return first, who will look back and see that we were runners in our day, that we held the baton, that we passed it on to them, which they then have been passing on to others. Reliable and faithful men. You see, we come back to where we started. Loyalty, faithfulness. As Paul stressed to Timothy, be faithful, stick to the message. So Timothy was to stress to those he passed the message on to, you be the same. For Christmas this year, someone gave us the gift of going up the shard. Now, being in Edinburgh, you might not know what the shard is. The shard is this huge new building in central London. It, it, you can see it from everywhere. You can see it from Enfield that's 10 miles on the edge of London. And, and it is enormous. And so we went up. You go up very quickly in these very fast lifts. And then there's these two viewing platforms and you can look out over London. I'd never seen London like that before. It, it gave me a whole new perspective on London. What had previously seemed big now looked tiny. The, the gherkin, that funny shaped building next to St. Helen's Bishop's Gate, it looked tiny from up in the shard. Now why do I mention that? Well, as I've considered these verses afresh, they've helped me, I think, to get perspective. You see, when we're involved in our own personal lives and when we're involved in the ministries God's called us to, we can often see things in a very small way. 
We can in some way think, well, it's all about us. It's all about me. Look, it's not about us. It's not about me. We're runners in a relay. The the, the Lord Jesus Christ is doing something massive. He's saving men and women from all over the world. Yes, in Edinburgh, in London, in Papua New Guinea. He's saving them all over the world. He's doing that as men and women stay faithful to the gospel, as they guard it like treasure, as they pass it on to others. And we get to play our part, not for our glory, but for the great glory of our Savior, Christ Jesus. So Timothy, keep... Oh, Timothy, Andy. Your dad's Timothy, but we haven't called him that for years. Keep perspective. How can you do it? How can you obey these commands? Well, look at chapter 2, verse 1, which is where I want us to end. You then, my strong son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We often proclaim our dependence upon the grace of the Lord Jesus for salvation. And it is by grace that we are saved. But we must never forget our equal dependence upon the grace of the Lord Jesus every day if we're to live faithfully and if we're to serve faithfully. The grace of forgiveness that keeps forgiving us when we fail. The grace of his presence, uh, that assurance that even if others abandon us, he will stand by our side and give us the strength to stick to his message. The grace of his power that is sufficient for us and is actually made perfect in our weaknesses Whatever inward or outward pressures pressures we may face. The grace of the eternal hope that assures us of the even greater grace which will be revealed. And which will be ours for all eternity with everyone else who has run the gospel relay. You probably know the acrostic for grace. There's a number of versions. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's rescue at Christ's expense. I have another one written in the front of my notebook. Grace means God's resources available constantly every day. And Andy, that's what you need. Our risen Lord Jesus has given you great gifts to be used in the proclamation of his great gospel they're great gifts to be used don't be wicked don't be lazy don't be self-reliant but every day cry out to the Lord Jesus to give you the grace you need to run your leg of the relay stick at it treasure the gospel be faithful in handing it on to others that helps you keep perspective it helps you remember that it's not about me it's about the Lord Jesus and that message is the same for us all isn't it whether this morning we are set apart for full time ministry like Andy our Lord Jesus calls every believer to be a loyal runner playing our unique part in the great gospel marathon. 
of ourselves we are unhealthy sinners but Jesus came as the healer of sinners the savior of sinners he died tasting death in our place and if you haven't trusted him yet personally that's where joining the relay starts and when you trust him you'll discover you're a runner in the race with a very special part leg to run let's pray shall we our loving and gracious father in heaven every single one of us here this morning who professes faith in our Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord has cause to be grateful to you for those who have faithfully run the gospel race before us we do thank you for men like Christopher Anderson for those he handed the gospel on for those who followed and those who followed we thank you for those who first passed on to us the gospel of salvation the gospel of grace we thank you for those who have stuck to that gospel we thank you to those who treasured it and taught us to treasure it as well father in heaven as andy continues in the ministry you've called him to help him to run his leg of the gospel race faithfully not in his own strength but in the enabling power of your spirit with faith and with love and always dependent upon your great grace we ask these things in Jesus name Amen